It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four, and England have won the match. Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket, January the twelfth. So much cricket going on; it's it's unbelievable. It's midwinter in England, of course, and there's just stacks to talk about. Actually, um, there's. India against Sri Lanka, there's Pakistan against New Zealand, there's Zimbabwe against Ireland. Towards the end of this week, there'll be five T20 tournaments going on in various parts of the world. So lots of interesting issues going on. I just saw Jofra Archer make his return in the SA20, which we'll talk about. That was absolutely stunning. We've had Virat Kohli scoring his 45th ODI 100. Uh, So tremendous work by him. Um, and we've got a special guest on, Lydia Greenway, the star of, or the former star of England's women's team, who is now uh, a very leading light in the game in commentary. And she's produced a book about women's cricket. So we're going to talk about that as well. I should just mention, before we get into the, the detail of the discussion, uh, that there is this club, worldsbestcricketclub.com. I know we've mentioned it on this site a few times, but. You should join it because, firstly, we get a live interview each week with a famous player, as in Lydia Greenway yesterday. We've got Mark Butcher coming up. We've also got Kumar Sangakara coming up in the next couple of weeks. You can join the club by going to worldsbestcricketclub.com. But also, you get the ad-free version of this podcast as well, and events. And the event last Saturday, talking about cricket all over the world and cricket going on everywhere, we had a little special event of our own, the WBCC, World's Best Cricket Club, had our own competition at Sixes in Westfield. Now, Simon, have you experienced Sixes yet? I have. I've I've done Sixes, yeah. I did it with my daughters. Uh, Sorry, one of my daughters and my wife. And actually, my daughter really loved it. She, She was, what, 13, 14 at the time? Really had a, a great time, yeah, yeah. Because you get it's sort of, it's basically cricket simulation, isn't it? You're in a cage, and someone bowls at you. It's all, and, and it's suddenly the ball flies out, and you have to hit it. And yeah, I, she thoroughly enjoyed it. 
I, I, I did as well. It was, it was quite good. It's not quite the same as, you know, facing a, a bowler from 22 yards, uh, you know, on a, a grass pitch. I bet. But it's, it's, did it's you, quite good fun. Did you block shit out of it? Of course I did. Yeah, you don't want to. <laughs> but actually, if you, you trickle it, can't down score runs. Island, you you can't get... score runs in the pavilion, yeah, well, Oz, can true. you? That's true. But but you don't get out though. You you receive six balls from a simulator, and you can set it to different levels. So of course I turn up, and they set it to world class, which I think is a little bit of a, an overestimation of my batting. Well, if you bat it, it was exposed. I was my batting was my lack of a batting ability was exposed by some quite. Fast bowling, but it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because you 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 say you see the bowler coming up on the screen, and it's a can be a right arm bowler, it can be a left arm bowler, it can be a spinner, and then it comes the ball comes out a sort of soft, um, you know, compound ball comes out through the hole, and then you have to obviously play it. And there are various targets you've got to try and hit to get a, a three, a four, or six, mostly to to hit it straight. It's actually a good good fun, and there's a bar and there's restaurant there, and it's actually a good laugh. Uh, it, one of the ex players from Middlesex, David Nash, is involved in the creation of these clubs. There's three or four in London. There's one in Birmingham. I think there's one in Manchester. So it's sort of expanding, and it's it's a good afternoon, and it uh, certainly brings ex professionals down to. Uh, sort of very poor level, um, and actually we had some good players from our club who were, were, were obviously had done it before, so they were pretty good. Yeah, uh, two things, Jos. One is, uh, of course, I I did block just to show my daughter that how to play a forward defensive shot because if you can't defend, you can't attack. One point, and also I noticed, and I I did I wasn't there on Saturday, but I did see the wind up that was played on you where someone uh, was primed to ask you for your autograph. And she said, oh, I've always been a great fan of yours. And you signed it. And then she looked down and she said, oh, no, I thought you were Simon Mann. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that was actually a setup, was it? I think so, yeah. Oh. Well, that's what I was told. Right. I was, I was, yeah. it was, the, the, the video was sent to me and I said, was this a, was this a deliberate wind-up? And the answer I got back was yes. Anyway, what well, to be decided. It was, it was funny. Of course, I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt. There was one time when I was doing a signing at Laws for one of my books and there was a big sign-up saying Simon Hughes signing at lunchtime during a test match at Laws. And I sort of signed a few sort of 20 or 30 books and then play started again. And these two beautifully dressed, slightly older ladies were in the end of the queue in sort of hats and they'd come from Yorkshire and they were absolutely immaculately dressed. And they came up and they said, oh, can we have a book each, please? So I said, yeah, of course. And I signed my name and they looked at it and then they went, oh, where's Ian Botham? <laughs> oh, I said, well, it's no, you know, it's, it's me, Simon. Said, oh, no, well, we don't want that then. And they just handed the books back. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> I'm used to it. So I'm you're used, used to, it. to it then, you're used, I'm used to, to it. it. Um, yeah. But anyway, it was good fun. We're doing another event at Sixes again in about a couple of months' time. Again, if you join our club, worldsbestcricketclub.com, you can be part of that as well. So you can actually play cricket as well as talk about it and exchange uh, gossip about it on our WhatsApp group. So it is well worth joining our club. And we do raise money for the Professional Cricketers Trust as well. So it's a, it's a double whammy, really. Um Right, so let's talk proper cricket. Let's talk proper cricket. cricket. Yeah, and and I'd just like to just say well done to Joffrey Archer. 17 months out of the game. Well, it must have been incredibly frustrating at times, but my goodness, he came back with a bang, playing for MI Cape Town in the inaugural match of the SA20 against Paul Royals, uh, the former, his former teammates, actually, people like Joss Butler, who played with him at Rajasthan Royals in the IPL. And he was absolutely in stonking four. He got the ball to fly through chest high against Jason Roy. 
the ball that was almost over the keeper's head, actually. He took three for 27. He bowled some superb Yorkers, slower balls, sort of heat-seeking missiles sizzling through to the keeper. Absolutely superb. Great to see. Yeah, definitely. And I noticed as well that uh, Ben Stokes was obviously taking note because he tweeted about it, didn't he? Basically, you know, great to see Joffre Archer back. And, you know, as captain of England with the Ashes coming up, then obviously he will have a bit of an eye on Archer. We don't quite know how that's going to progress. It's impossible to say, isn't it? But you feel that Stokes would definitely like to have Archer in his armoury when the Ashes uh, come round. And Archer as well also uh, tweeting in the last uh, day or two about, you know, how much... Uh, sort of. Uh, how much he appreciated all the the well-wishers, you know, who, who great to see you back and great to see you bowling well. And it, it, it is fantastic to see him back. And, and it's fingers crossed, isn't it, that he doesn't, he isn't susceptible, doesn't have any more injuries. I mean, he, I, I my mind goes back to the Mount Monganui test match where he bowled 40 overs in an innings. And I, I mean, I was, I was shuddering at the time, really. And I just think you, someone like that has just got to be, managed a bit better I know New Zealand scored a huge amount of runs in that match but f- 40 overs is, is a lot in an innings isn't it and you know that the toll it took perhaps you know led, led to some of the injuries that he's had now you mentioned Ben Stokes there and he's been talking to county coaches and some of the county players knocking around hasn't he mm. interesting story yeah uh, early this week on Monday zoom call with the with the county coaches Ben Stokes and, and Brendan McCullum just talking about what they've done and what they're trying to do with the England side, really. Uh, no, not an enormous amount of details so far has come out. I suppose what it, you know, what will happen over time is the county coaches will give interviews and give their reaction to, to what was discussed in that Zoom meeting. Um, I, I, Rob Key emphasised afterwards it wasn't right. You've got to play like this because of you know there are all sorts of different variables in. Uh, conditions pitches time of year you're playing weather all that sort of thing but it, it, it it's interesting they got together so this idea of sort of being joined up this is what we want I suppose it's what we're looking for as well this is how we're going to play so if your players want to play in the England team then this is the mindset that they are going to have to adopt I suppose that is you know that is one of the messages um or a couple of other things as well just confirming that We'll use the Cookerborough ball for two rounds of Championship cricket, rounds nine and ten. So, matches starting on the twenty fifth of June and the tenth of July, and a feeling also that they want the pitches to be as hard and flat and fast as as possible. I, I mean, that's not easy in England, is it? I mean, that so much depends on the weather, how, you know, how much dry weather you, you you have around and where you are in the country as well. The type, you know, different surfaces, different um, on the various grounds. In the country, mm. I know you've you've in the past, Yoz, you've said that uh, we should just get rid of the Cookerborough ball. But I suppose if you're going to have to play with the Cookerborough ball overseas, then it might be useful to bowl with it and see what it's like and see how difficult it can be to take wickets here. Or I, I mean, I'd just get rid of it anyway. Everywhere. I know you would. I'd just I get rid but of it from every used, country. But I mean, it, because it's just not a very good ball. But but if okay. it's going to be used, well. Uh, yeah, I suppose it's inevitable, isn't it, that they're going to have to try it. Uh, I, mean, I just don't like, I think having different uh, qualities of balls or different make manufacturers of balls just doesn't make sense. And we had this in the late 1980s where there was readers against Dukes and the readers were had this huge seam on them 
Uh, and uh, so loads of seamers took loads of wickets. So the next year, they said, right, you've got mm. to take all the strands off the ball. There's no seam allowed kind of thing. And so teams were scoring eight and 900. It, it, it's, mm. it's a very fine margin. It's a bit like pitch preparation, actually. You know, there's a very fine margin. If you leave eight millimetres of grass on the pitch, it seams all over the place. And if you leave six millimetres or five millimetres, it does nothing. So it obviously varies from ground to ground. Leave seven on then. The, the art of making pitches is obviously a, a very tricky one and that conditions how the ball's going to behave. And you can't, as you say, it varies from ground to ground and probably part of the country to part of the country. So I guess it's worth a try. At least it gives bowlers experience of playing with a kookaburra ball. So, you know, may, maybe it's not, not a bad thing. Well, one of the, one of the problems has been, I mean, when England go to Australia and they play with a kookaburra ball, they... You know, generally speaking, of struggles to take wickets. I know in the last tour the pitches were quite spicy. Actually, and there was a lot more in the Australian pitches than in previous tours because of the weather. You know, was it La Nina? You know, very wet, and the balls did quite a lot. And that was, I would say, having when we were watching, that was a sort of fairly untypical Ashes series. But generally speaking, pitches go flat, ball goes soft. You have to try to find ways of getting wickets with the with the cooker of a ball. So it's a way, I suppose, of of, of trying to experience Australian conditions potentially I know and also of course it's going to be June July where you think it'd be drier and a bit warmer as well so trying to replicate that give bowlers an idea it might work might not who knows uh, it might just be, it actually might just be a drop in the ocean and it might have not have any uh, big effect at all but you'd, you'd think it's worth experimenting I mean the the, the, the counties have pushed back on playing less cricket so you know, there are these are these other things that were recommended in the Strauss review, most of which are going to be adopted, aren't they? I mean, the big thing that's not going to be adopted from the Strauss review is is less cricket, fewer T20 matches, and fewer championship matches. But the re- the rest is going to go through. Talking of um, variation of pitches, uh, we're adding a new section to this podcast from today. We're calling it Club World, and we're going to try and derive some good stories from the club cricket environment, from the grassroots of the game today. We're going to be talking about Coal Hill Cricket Club that have been embroiled in controversy because of residents who live near the ground who are complaining about cricket. And this is new residents who've moved in recently who are complaining about cricket and the damage it can cause and are trying to get cricket banned from Coal Hill in Dorset. So we've got a couple of people to talk about that a bit later in our Club World section. But just a couple of other things before we get to Lydia Greenway, a couple of other things to talk about uh, that are the incidents that have occurred. I see Australia have uh, cancelled their tour of oh, their, their matches against Afghanistan in the UAE because of the Taliban's stance on women generally in Afghanistan, which is an interesting step. And just, you know, on the sort of controversial line, Rohit Sharma and an attempted mancad in the India-Sri Lanka one-day game. Yeah, well, uh, it seems as if there are more runouts backing up or mancads, whatever. Um, people get a bit heated about using the term uh, mancad. Uh, to me, um, I, I don't quite understand that because the, the, the person who first did it, uh, Vinu Mankad, was doing something um, deliberate and knowing and thinking it was in the laws and believing it was in the laws, and it was. So if you have the sort of courage of your convictions, why should people say, oh, it shouldn't be called a mancad? He, he would say, I, you know, I'm sure he didn't do anything wrong. Anyway, that's, a, you know, it's a, that's, a, that's the semantics of it. Anyway, run out, backing up, whatever, while the bowler's going into bowl. We had one in the Big Bash um, earlier this year where Adam Zampa uh, went to run out a non-striker, but it was disallowed by the umpire because his, his arm was already 
at the horizontal about to deliver and and this one in in the it was actually a strange one because it was, it was it was had no bearing whatsoever on the result Dustin Shanika was in the non-striker's end. He was 98 not out with three balls left of the match. No chance of Sri Lanka winning the game. But he wanted to get to the striker's end so he could be on strike to score 100. Um, eventually he did do that. But Shami ran him out at the non-striker's end and Rohit Sharma withdrew the appeal. Which is actually what uh, David Hussey, the coach of the Melbourne Stars, said they would have done if the Zampa one had been allowed by the... TV umpires. So, you know, there are, there, are, there are plenty of people in the game who feel it's not the right way to affect a dismissal. Uh, and, you know, the debate will rage. It's possible that the MCC might have to clarify the laws or at least, I don't know, have some di slightly different protocols in the future. Or we might just have sort of like the Wild West, really, and, and batters being run out who, you know, who are trying to pinch their ground. I mean, I come back to that point I've made over and over again. If you don't want to be run out backing up, Stay in your ground. <laughs> you sound like grandpa. Stay in your ground. No, well, I mean, it's logical. It, it, well, it ground. is logical. It's logical. I, it's interesting. I did a little straw poll at our sixes event the other night, yeah. actually. Uh, there's about 20 of us sat around the table. Uh, who likes it? Who doesn't? Nobody likes it. Everybody's I'm not saying I like it, yours. I'm not it's, saying I like well, it. Well, I mean, most of them saying, you know, we should ban it. You should just be written mm. out the rules and all that, all the laws. I, it's a complicated one, isn't it? And uh, I just all I would say is the, the evidence of the last couple of weeks that two people have emerged uh, as gents of the game, Rohit Sharma and David Hussey, who you know both have a very high reputation in the game for people who are, are decent men, <laughs> and they've um, they've decided to sort of you know almost outlaw the idea of man cadding, which is, meets my approval. But actually, what I said in our debate the other night was. Look, OK, if a certain batsman is trying to steal runs, you give him a warning and you stop. And I have actually done this. I've done this in a mm. match. I've, I've been aware of a batsman trying to steal ground. I've run up to bowl. I've stopped and said, as the batsman's left his ground, I've said, right, there you are. I don't know if actually to say anything. Just stand there, show the, the situation. He's out of his ground. I've got the ball in my hand point the finger and go back and bowl. And if he does it again... Did that make any difference? Yes, it did, because he stopped doing it. Uh, I can't even remember who it was. Probably Dermot Reeve. Uh, you know, I used to have a few sort of fisticuffs with him on the field, um, you know, metaphorically. Uh, he did stop doing it, and so it worked. And I think that's the best solution. Yeah, I probably, if he'd done it two or three more times, I probably would have run him out. But you do. I, I think mm. you do have to give people a bit of a warning and a bit of a chance just to make the point first. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't do it without a warning. I would, or certainly without stopping. But it does come down to this point that you're trying to you're just trying to steal ground to make a run. I think you know Dustin Shanika, Okay, it wasn't really that important because it was right at the end of the game. But I mean, it was just for a personal milestone, wasn't it? He was trying to make a hundred. Uh, but he, you know, he was trying to steal ground. To try, you know, to make it easier to get to the to the other end, and that's the other side of the coin. And we all know in white ball cricket the fine margins. We, you know, we, we we see with the TV umpire that you know players can be run out by an inch or two inches or whatever a centimeter. The back can just be on the line. You know, it's so it it, it can have a a, a huge uh, impact on the game of cricket. It's funny, isn't it, how certain things just get people so so worked up. Um, 
and, and you know it's not something that actually happens that often is it really you don't often find the bowler stopping and knocking the bales off but it is becoming more common as it's become more publicized that it's allowed within the laws and so it's, it's given people an, an idea. Stuart Broad's point was always that it, it, it's not, there's not a great deal of skill involved in it. Um, and, you know, cricket is about skill and you know, trying to outwit the, the batter if you're a bowler and the bowler if you're a batter. And it, there's not much skill. And I think that's, that's a reasonable point. That's why I think a warning is, is I, I would always give a warning. But I, I do come back to the point, you know, if you're not out of your ground, then you can't be run out. Well, it's permeated the women's game, of course. A well-known uh, incident at Lords last summer in the India England ODI and uh, that's what uh, we're going to talk about today not that game but women's cricket generally because that certainly it's coming to the fore in the next month or two with first the under 19 women's world cup the first ever tournament and then the full women's T20 world cup which is in February both tournaments happening in South Africa it's great to see. I mean, an under-19 World Cup for women is what a fantastic opportunity. That's uh, really exciting. And there are 16 teams taking part in that. And one of the people at it, both as an advisor and also as a commentator, is Lydia Greenway, the former England player. She joined us the other night in the Virtual Cricket Club, partly because she's already at the tournament, and also because she's just produced a book, Women and Girls Cricket, How We Can Grow the Game Together. It's out this week giving lots of tips for how coaches and players can evolve and uh, get get involved in, in cricket generally. She's a cricket evangelist in the same way as Graham Smith we had on the week before is for the men's game. Uh, she's just a fantastically compelling character. And so the first thing I asked her was, how did the book come about? Well, first of all, it came about, as most things did in lockdown, I think, when people had plenty of time on their hands so I'd always wanted to do something about the women and girls game um I knew I didn't want to do any sort of autobiography because um it's not overly interesting but I I knew I wanted to focus on being able to deliver something that would help um the female cricket community so the book itself is really um a practical guide really so for um, parents who might have a daughter playing the game if they're new to the game or even if they've been playing for a while for coaches who are at cricket clubs or at schools so where teachers are maybe delivering a cricket program for the first time to their girls Um, we talk about how to set up a good girls cricket program in clubs and in schools Um, we also talk about just the the stuff that people don't often think about, you know, the cricket equipment for females, actually, what do they need to get? Because it is slightly different. Um, And we have some amazing people contribute to the book. Um, You know, we have people like Ebony, Shigua, um, lots of current and past players. So um, it's it's a collective effort, really. Um, So, yeah, we are really pleased that it's finally out. And I know you and Simon have been working together uh, on the Big Bash, etc. But now... You're in South Africa doing what? Yes, so in South Africa, arrived here, um, well, three days ago, ago now. So I'm in Pretoria. It's the um, the first ever women's under-19 World Cup, um, which starts in, in a few days. So my initial role is I'm, I'm my title is an ICC um, mentor. So I've been assigned to England and Ireland. 
Um, so my role at the moment is just to chat to the players, chat to the coaching staff, because uh, for a lot of them, it, it's all pretty new. Um, and then that role will then change and I'll, I'll go and commentate on, on the games, which I, I really can't wait for. I think it's, it's going to be a, a fascinating tournament just to see where, where all the different teams are at. Blimey. So it's your poacher term gamekeeper, really, because you're sort of you know, mentoring the players and then you're going to commentate on them and then you're going to have to go and meet them again afterwards. And, and they're going to say, well, why did you say that about me? Uh, they're going to get quickly acquainted with um, players who are commentators as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, that sounds really interesting and, and busy, actually. And I, I watched the promotional video for the Under-19 World Cup and they, they sound really savvy, some of them already, actually. Yeah, it's amazing. Some of the, the stories from some of the teams are just, I think we we often, I think in England, we're often so immersed in the game that we forget how hard it is to to get to where we are in England and more established nations. And I guess a really good example is um, Rwanda, who their team have qualified. They're the only national cricket team from Rwanda to qualify for a global cricket event. Um, they had to beat... Um, other African nations um, in the, the sort of qualifiers which took place earlier in the year and, and you see these girls and you talk to them and their stories are so inspirational because they don't have the facilities, they don't have the resources of you know five coaches for example that other countries are lucky enough to have so these teams are, are, are amazing in terms of what they do on the pitch, but also how they've been able to get there as well with the, the support they've had from some really passionate people. Mm. Actually, Rwandan cricket has has had a bit of funding from Britain, hasn't it? And the men's side, I know, have got some you know quite nice pitches there. Another team I noticed uh, involved, I think, are Indonesia, and they've actually beaten you know a couple of reputable teams already in warm up games. Yeah, I saw them play today, actually. Um, they played England in their, their warm-up game. And again, what, what you generally see with these emerging nations is their fielding and, and their bowling is, is great, actually. It's, it's um, you know, they do themselves proud in that area. But I think the biggest thing where they need that um, extra uh, development, I think, is with their batting. And, and that's noticeable with some of the other teams. But when you see them out there in the field... Actually, their skills are, are pretty good. The foundation that they have is good and that will only get better as well, which I, I think is, is obviously great, great for the game because we know at the moment in the women's game, it's, it's dominated by, you know, just a handful of countries at the moment and we want to make that, that more. I'm interested, um, Lydia, talking about the Rwandan stories. You said you know, some amazing yeah. stories. Can, can you give us a flavour of some of those, Lydia? Yeah, definitely. So one of the players um, I've worked with before, so her name's um, Henriette Ishwimi. Um, pronunciation is hopefully about right. But she, um, the first time I saw her, she was taking part in a competition called Fair Break, which was out in Dubai um, last year. Um, and she was a player who was picked from the Rwandan team to come over and play in the, the competition. The competition itself was made up of um, associate members really and some big name players um, and the, the best memory I had from from her was her very first over in that competition 
she nicked off an international um, Australian player, Nicola Carey. And when you see her go off and celebrate, she literally just does a lap of the ground and, and the dancing and the celebration. And you just think, wow, that's an amazing experience for her. And then what I read when I was reading the player questionnaires from the other Arandan players was they said, what other teams do you follow? And it was actually the team that Henrietta played in because they were all following her progress. So she's then gone back to Rwanda and her teammates and she's gone and inspired her whole team to, you know, to get to the level and the experience that she, she'd had. So, yeah, I mean, you, you see the, the teams as well and they, they have all these dances, they're constantly singing and enjoying the game. And I guess going back to what I mentioned earlier, I think sometimes it's easy to forget how, how lucky some, some of us are with, with how developed the game is. Is this something that the ICC have said we, we, we must do because we need equivalents? There's a men's under-19 World Cup, so therefore there needs to be a women's one, or has the women's game been lobbying for an under-19 World Cup because it's important for the development of younger players to play and you know, have that sort of competition? I think it's a, a bit of both, to be honest. I think, as we know, the game is, you know, it's moving more towards equality, which, you know, is, is the way that the majority of people would like to see it go towards but I think there's also an element I can't speak for the ICC but I do think there is an element that you have the top three or four nations in in the world who are dominating the game Australia they're probably five years ahead than everyone else um, then you have obviously England India and New Zealand so I think the under 19 competition will just allow the the talented players in other countries who don't get opportunity to play against better quality opposition and and you never know hopefully their their cricketing boards will then sit up and think oh, actually let's make our domestic structure uh, a bit better for example so yeah you'd hope that this first under 19 world cup will have a, a positive effect on on i guess everything underneath it from domestic um to, to how their pathways may be structured as well are there more under-19 Women's World Cups planned? I mean, is, that, is it going to be a regular thing every two, four years? Or is, is it like, play it, see how it goes? Uh, my, my understanding, it will be a regular fixture now. Um, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure it will be. Um, I, I, don't, I, I can't say for definite if it's every two or four years, but my guess would be it will be in line with what the men do, which, yeah, is, is obviously fantastic. It'll be, there'll be an under-13 World Cup before you know it, I'll tell you. It's going it's to get younger and younger. Um, so just, just touching on what you said about Australia there, I mean, we've all seen how good Australia are in, in the women's game. What is it about them that makes them better? Is it because they've got more professional players? Is it because they've got more facilities? Is it just because they've been at it longer? And, and you know, how can other countries catch up, do you think? How can England catch up? Yeah, I think it's the fact that they've been at it longer in terms of um, their domestic structure has been professional for a longer period of time. So the Women's Big Bash is now, I think, in its eighth season, whereas obviously for our domestic game, as an example, um, we had what was called the Kia Super League and now it's the 100. And obviously that's only in its second year. So I think what they've had is um, a bigger pool of players playing against each other on a more regular basis, you know, in front of crowds, in front of the television. So they've then got more depth. Um, in terms of the professionalism, it was 
it was a bit like cat and mouse actually with England and Australia because I think England went first and in 2014 they said right you're all going professional then Australia said okay the Aussies are going professional and made the contracts more in terms of you know financial um, and they just kept going um, to the point where eventually Australia broke away and and they invested a, a huge amount and now we, we obviously see how dominant they are I think well later that this month they'll be playing in the senior women's world cup t20 and I think they'll be looking for their their third title in a row on that and they've probably got a good chance of doing it again as well I mean, T20, I suppose, evens it up a bit more, doesn't it? It gives other people a yeah. chance, as we saw with the with the men's competition. And just just one quick question about your history. Um, obviously, you started playing way before professionalism. So, how what were the kind of issues that you had to overcome to to get to the level you did? Um, yeah, I, I think there were. It's funny because I think when you're young, you don't think you don't look at them as challenges and issues. I think you just are very accepting of the situation that you were in. So um, my dad played cricket at our local cricket club. Um, so by default, our weekends were spent up at the cricket club. I've got a younger brother and an older sister um, and we would just watch him play, practice in the nets. And then the only offering of cricket at that time was to play in the boys teams. So from under 11 to under 17 all my cricket predominantly was was boys cricket um I played men's cricket as well like Sunday twos um and I look back on that now and actually think oh wow how support supportive um the men were that I played with especially sort of around um the 90s really um, 90s into the early 2000s um but there were challenges you know just things like um when you turn up to a game and you're expecting to go into a nice changing room where all your teammates are going and you get sent to the toilet to go and get changed in the cubicle. And at the time you think, oh, that was okay. But I think for another or a different type of girl, maybe someone who isn't as competitive, that might put them off the game. So I think it's more when you look back, you think, okay, maybe that was a bit challenging. But I think when you're in it, um, like I know obviously your daughter has played um, boys cricket and I think I would always say that is a really good way to develop as a player um, as a female player in particular because um, when I look back that was that was massive in my development um, and so I yeah I'd always recommend that um, and then eventually we set up our own women's team um, at, at Hayes which is a club in Kent and um, yeah, we, we went from there. We were we were absolutely shocking in our first couple of years, but we we enjoyed it. So that, that's the main thing. And, and, and just um, just touching on you know what you had to deal with compared to now. You've written this book uh, with obviously contributions from lots of other people. What are the main hurdles and barriers to entry for girls now, both playing girls cricket and playing with the boys as well? What are the sort of the issues which you advise ways of overcoming? Yeah, I, I think there's a few. I think equipment is is quite a big one. So for a girl who's relatively new to the game, and for example, the girls who played when I was playing generally were introduced to the game by a male relative. So when it came to buying equipment, um, the dad or the brother would help because they knew exactly what needed to be bought. But what we're seeing now is, is young girls into the game who have got parents who don't necessarily 
know the game of cricket. And so when it go, comes to buying the equipment, they, first of all, don't really know what to buy. Um, and then also they don't really know if there's any female specific stuff out there, which there is. Um, and so that's one of the first challenges. And then I think when you look at, obviously, females, um, the, the clothing that is worn, I know I've spoken to people and they haven't played the game of cricket because they've had to wear cricket whites, which obviously for females at certain times, that can be quite daunting. Um, and so, yeah, just those things that people don't always think about um, and making sure that at cricket clubs, they have an offering of girls and boys cricket because not all girls want to play in the boys teams um, and that's fine um, and then obviously facilities as well I think making sure that facilities are are even um, and that the women and the girls get equal share of that um, because I think when you feel undervalued in any environment it can quite quickly put you off so yeah I guess there, there are a few examples of, of the challenges that that people can have um, some some are bigger than than others but they're obviously still there what was the situation at the moment then Liz, with girls when they starting to play cricket are they uh, expected now to play in girls teams because there are more girls teams and every, you know most you know, lots of clubs have them or do they can they actually choose to play with boys how does it work yeah it, it varies really i think it, at clubs generally now they have <clears throat> a girls and a boys offering a lot of clubs that I've spoken to have been really open to the girls who are really good and maybe aren't aren't being tested with their peers they're really open to them going and playing in in with the boys um and that's also the same in schools um well I have spoken to some teachers and it's often more in in private schools actually where a, a young girl might be in the first 11 at a school obviously with the boys and some parents have sometimes flagged up the fact that they don't feel overly happy because their son is the one who's missed out so that's obviously quite um that's a difficult thing to manage because it does sort of throw up a bit of a debate um but I think from the de purely a development point of a young girl who is talented and if you haven't got the level of cricket when she's just playing with her peers then I think the natural thing or the best thing is to give her that opportunity. But I'd say generally now most clubs are, are offering girls cricket. And I know, I think the ECB have set themselves some targets in terms of um, number of clubs that, that they want to have that offer women and girls cricket. So they're still keen to, to increase that as well. Simon, you wanted to talk a little bit, if you've got time, Lily, for another five minutes, just to talk about the commentary side of things. Simon? My question really was just, you know, you've got so many hats, you're coaching, you're, you're doing your, um, you're writing a book, you've got your, on, your online clothing sales, you've got your broadcasting career. If you had to choose one of them, what would, what would, what would you stick with? If you could only do one of those things now, now you've, now you've retired I, from playing. I, I'd have to say the broadcasting. Um, I'm not just saying that because we work together, but um, I love the fact that you still get to be involved in the game and you get to talk about it with different people um uh, yeah I, I just think it's an amazing way to stay in the game I think coaching is tough like I see some of the coaches and it's a real tough slog um and I'm not saying that I'm adverse to hard work but I just think it does take a massive commitment and it just wouldn't allow you to do any anything else but yeah I'd say broadcasting um yeah I love it it's it's brilliant and what what's harder no, no radio pressure, or television? there's no pressure is it sorry 
Um, there's no pressure as a broadcaster. Yeah, sorry. I think he said it. What's harder, radio or television? Um, I think from a technical point of view, getting used to television is harder because you've got the earpiece in and you have about three different people talking to you at the same time and you have to recognise which voice you need to listen to when. So I think from that point of view, it, it's harder. Um, and then I think radio, you have to be as descriptive as you can, um, which sometimes if you're commentating for a long time, if it's a long day, sometimes you don't get lazy, but I think you have to make sure you stay on the ball. Um, yeah, so I think they're, they're, they're challenging, but in different ways, I'd, I'd say. I don't know what you think, Simon, if, that, if you'd agree with that. Well, I, I definitely agree with you on the all those people talking in your ear when you're doing television. Sometimes you just want to put you, you just want to say down the mic, will you all just shut up, please, <laughs> yeah. and let me speak? Yeah, especially <laughs> no, they're all doing their jobs. Yeah. Brilliant. No, brilliant. I've got two final questions. One, um, who do you tip England under 19s? Give us a name of a couple of players that you've spotted that could emerge. One. So I saw um, it's a girl called Ellie Anderson, who I saw bowl today for the very first time, and Mark Wood. So if you can imagine Mark Wood, his approach, his action, um, very, very similar. Um, there's I'm going to be slightly biased now, but only because I've seen a lot of them. It's some, there's a few very good Kent girls in there. So Grace Scrivens is, is the captain of the team and... She scored a, a 50 today. She's um, yeah, she's a very talented, talented young player. And um, there's a couple in there as well. Other others in there as well. But you asked for two names, so I, I'll, okay. I'll keep it there. And, and <laughs> just finally, um, what can we do as men? What what more can we do as men to you know to help the women's game? Give us you know one thing that we could do. I mean, other than obviously talk it up. Um, and also yeah. talk it down when it's when they get it wrong. I, I, I guess be honest. I suppose. But what yeah. else could we do to to help the cause? If I'm honest, that is that's the main thing that you can do because the power that it brings when there's a male talking about the women's game is so much more powerful than us trying to promote ourselves. Um, like I know someone like Owen Morgan, if he ever does a tweet about the women's game and he wouldn't do it if he's asked to do it, he will only do it if he wants to do it. And that is so much more powerful, um, not just from a support point of view, but also from getting other people listening um, and actually taking notice. So yeah that to be honest that really is the main thing i can think of um i mean the only other thing and this is taking it to the extreme is if from the point of view of equality and pay if the men said no the women can have x percentage of ours and i doubt that will happen but i mean that would be an unbelievable unbelievable gesture if it did but they have to believe in it um themselves so um but yeah the support thing i think is is the biggest one definitely It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So Lydia Greenway there at the Under-19 World Cup in South Africa, which starts this weekend. And I love the hit the sound of uh, Ellie Anderson, uh, the Mark Wood lookalike, long run, pace bowler. Of course, she's got the name Anderson as well. So that's all good, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> Exciting to hear uh, about her. And I, I, I actually, uh, having watched the promotional video for this tournament, I mean, I just listened to the girls talking. They're so confident. They're so knowledgeable about the game already, which is Fantastic to see. And spreading the game so wide. You know, Indonesia, Rwanda, USA have got a team in this tournament, 16 teams. Disappointing, actually, to see Brazil women's team aren't in there because great, the game is really burgeoning in Brazil in the women's game as well. So it's, it's fantastic to see, isn't it? Uh, absolutely, yeah. And you, you need to get as, as much involvement as possible. And that, that's what it's all about, isn't it? That for so long... Well, you know, half, half the population of the world has been sort of semi-excluded, if not more than that, from from the game. Really, been been shut out. And Lydia's point there at the end, you know, how can how can men uh, pr- um, promote the game? Well, just keep talking about it and keep, uh, yeah, and just that really, just keep promoting it. I think Lydia's um, uh, other hope that uh, the men will give up their salaries to you know to allow equal pay. A bit skeptical about that happening. Not in, not in the short term, anyway. Well, no. But, I mean, I wonder if the way of, of getting round uh, an issue like that is that in the future selling the men's and women's TV rights as a bundle, so that you don't sort of separate them, and then there's a there's a you know huge amount of money then comes in, and you can share that almost equally. I mean, it's interesting actually that uh, my daughter Nancy is doing her dissertation at the moment on the gender pay gap in sport. And she's actually focusing on golf. I saw the other day that uh, the top 10 earners in women's sport, there is one person, I think she's a tennis player, that's on something like $40 million. And uh, no cricketers, obviously, in that uh, top 10. Tennis players, golfers, a couple of racing drivers, I think. um, A a downhill skier. So, you know, women's earnings in sport are definitely increasing considerably aren't they but obviously they still have a long way to go the australians are ahead of it aren't they in in terms of the share for uh, women's cricket and australia well australia are ahead of everything in terms of women's cricket aren't they they're they are the team uh to be I mean, what did lydia say there that they're five years ahead of everybody else which is you know which is a long way to, and that'll take a little bit of catching up but you know paying is what draws people in isn't it wages what draw people in. i mean I, I know for example in in football what what what's the the, the main metric for success in a, in a football team wages you know, the higher the wages more chance of success so you know there, there's there's a clear you know there's a clear link isn't there um and th- inevitably things will change i was just thinking about lydia how cricket has changed Women's cricket has changed since she made her debut 20 years ago. She made a debut at the Gabba against Australia in 2003. 
things have changed enormously. So I suppose what you do is you look another 10 years, 20 years down the line and the, the change will be even greater. Yeah, and I just love, I love watching women's cricket. I, I, I love the grace and style of it, actually, because the men's game has become a bit of a power game. And there's still a lot of art and artistry in, in women's cricket. There is in men's cricket too, but just I love their timing and their, their almost sort of balletic footwork and things like that. And actually, there's women with bullet arms as well, hurling it in from the boundary. So, and, and they're just the general enthusiasm is, is fantastic to see. So uh, well done to Lydia for all the work she's doing promoting the women's game. The book is called Women and Girls Cricket how we can grow the game together. She's also got a website as well, cricketforgirls.com. And, uh, you know, she's just generally a, a force for good in the game. And uh, incidentally, this Under-19 World Cup leads into a T20 World Cup, Women's T20 World Cup. And uh, one of the England players playing in that, Danny Wyatt, is going to be our guest in the World's Best Cricket Club in a couple of weeks' time. So we'll get her lowdown on the future plans for the England full women's team as well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, this section we're calling Club World because we're going to be investigating all sorts of issues going on in the club game. And what we want you to do, the listeners, is send us in any kind of issues that are going on in your club or a club that you've heard about. Uh, send them in to the analyst pod at gmail.com and we'll read out the best stories the following week. So the analyst pod at gmail.com is your home for sending in stories from club cricket. The one we've got today circulates around a club in Dorset. Uh, James Holland, the one of the hosts of that famous podcast, which I'm sure you're all addicted to now, We Have Ways of Making You Talk, the Second World War expert and historian. James Holland is with us. Uh, very keen cricket fan. I know you play and you're chairman of a club in Dorset. And we've also got Norts, Richard Norton, our esteemed producer and heartbeat of the West Country club cricket as well to talk about this issue. So, James, you posted it on Twitter, this issue about Cold Hill Cricket Club in Dorset. Just elaborate a bit. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a really lovely ground. It is a small ground, but it's, but it's literally two minutes walk from my, in my in-laws. And my father-in-law sadly passed away now, but he, he used to spend many happier time um, uh, w watching the cricket there. Um, and, uh, you know, so it was his local ground. Uh, and, you know, he was a Lancashire League man. He used to play with Cess Pepper back in the day, um, but uh, and then worked overseas and then retired to Wimborne in Dorset, which is why he was right near Cole Hill. Cole Hill is a sort of suburb of Wimborne, a sort of old village that's sort of been morphed into the town. But I've played there loads of times because my club, Chalk Valley, is um, just in the absolute southwest of, of, of Wiltshire. It's just right on the Dorset border. We played there loads of times and I had a 
fantastic game there in 2018, I remember, where we were a little bit behind the game and, and I came in and I was sort of doing OK. And then we lost a flurry of wickets. I think there was sort of about three ducks in a row or something. <laughs> Guy who hadn't played for about five years came in and, and we had a kind of a, a 60 run partnership um, right at the end. And, you know, you can get runs quite quickly there, it has to be said. And then last year, my son, Ned, got his first ever hundred. Um, at Cole Hill, and and I spoke to him about this this issue of Cole Hill and 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 the neighbours complaining about balls being hit. He said, "Well, I feel a bit responsible for that because he he plundered about a dozen sixes, and he did actually smash a roof tile on one of the houses. So, I guess that's kind of um, he's sort of slightly culpable for the pickle that Cole Hill find themselves in. Cole Hill is this small ground, and it's got houses at one end of it, and it's very easy to hit a six into their garden, and there's a couple of sort of newbies who've arrived recently into the area and these three houses, and there must be about sort of eight or nine houses along that, that, that one end, maybe a few more even, but three of the residents, three of the houses, the residents in those houses have complained that there's too many balls. It's dangerous. It's not fit for purpose. You know, the health and safety executive have had a field day and the club has been told that unless they put up incredibly high fencing, which is going to cost them tens of thousands of pounds, which they haven't got, they've got to stop playing cricket there. And cricket's been played there for over 100 years. And it's just a, it's an absolute tragedy. And I don't have any sympathy for the residents whatsoever, because if you're worried about cricket balls coming to your house, don't buy a house right next to a cricket ground. It's very simple. <laughs> it's, it's a bit like, isn't it, when you buy a house opposite a river, you know, and you complain about ducks or or, or geese, flooding or you know, whatever. You know, your, don't do it. Cra geese crapping on your lawn or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't believe that three residents have jeopardised 100 years of cricket on a village green as well. I mean, that seems extraordinary. No, nor can I. It's it's it's, it's utterly outrageous. It, it's so selfish and shameful and just awful. And, and you know, I mean, I mean, Norse will know this. I mean, you'll all, all four of you, all three of you will know this, that, that, that running an amateur club, sports club, requires unbelievable dedication and hard work it's not an easy task and it's you know there's so many obstacles to overcome you know getting players in keeping it all going finding the money you know etc etc sourcing a groundsman when your groundsman retires etc etc but to have your entire summer activity kiboshed by a handful of people who have sort of taken exception to a cricket ball occasionally flying into their garden is just Oh, it's just I'm it's still in a, so, so, oh, it's just unbelievable about it. So I was so pleased to see Ben Stokes. Ground, don't you? Uh, yeah, I've had the I've had the uh, good fortune to play there a couple of times. Once playing for a Cole Hill sort of Wimborne team against the touring side, and once being the touring side playing Wimborne, a game which I remember one of the Wimborne guys basically peppered those houses at the tree end many times <laughs> and you thought oh we live in that house i also think though jay see what you're saying isn't one of the main complaints not at that tree end there's sort of a cow cornery there's uh, i yeah, think there I are think cows so. there aren't is that right yeah i think I so think, i think so what, i mean i mean basically what you're gonna have to do is you're gonna have to sort of make it turn it into a kind of you know sort of it'll, hard it'll, it'll look sort of the hard hat area you you can only go in area or, if you or, wear a yellow hard hat maybe right and a high vis <laughs> jacket and all that kind of stuff and and you know what they'll have to do is they'll have to put kind of netting all the way around and it's just it's just easier said than done i mean you know you you need incredible you know 70 foot high pylons in there to which you then attach the net i mean it's just 
you then have to get in cherry pickers. I mean, you, you are talking tens of thousands of pounds to get this. I, I think a fee of £35,000 has been mentioned to put right. netting up. And I think crowdfunding has started. And it's interesting. This yeah, has got has. a lot of publicity, hasn't it? Um, you know, Michael yep. Vaughan's got involved and, and Ben Stokes yep. has, has tweeted about it, possibly possibly Owen Morgan as well. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. So it's actually, it's one of those things that's uh, gathered um, momentum. Um uh, there must be so many cricket clubs in the country that have this issue, actually, because a lot, you know, lots of clubs are in sort of housing areas. Uh, and my my old club at North London Cricket Club um, up in in Shepherd's Cot, those people who know that in in North London, there are five grounds there. And then there's Highgate Tennis Club right next to it, and we there is a massive netting that has been erected there. But still, balls would go over on a Saturday afternoon. You'd have to shout heads, and sometimes the tennis players would get very indignant about throwing the ball back. And you say, well, hold on a second. The, this cricket club was here a long, long time before the tennis club. Um, and so sometimes there were, not exactly, there wouldn't they wouldn't be standoffs, but there would be a little bit of indignation going on. So it, is, it, is, it does need that tolerance, doesn't it? Um, so here's a question for, for both of you. You've played there. How, so how big are the boundaries? What, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about, you know, a little, a little chip off your legs and it goes for six into someone's garden? Or is it a bit more than that? bit more than that i'd say from you know if you're if you're going if you're at the the striker's end and you are hitting towards the tree end it's probably only about 60 yards something like that right which is not i'm blaming i'm blaming i'm blaming t20 and bigger bats that's what i'm saying bigger bats 100 years ago people were nerdling weren't they were nerdling whereas now you just put your foot down, clear your leg away, swing hard. There it is, Mrs. Another one on your roof tile. That's that's your that's your method of playing anyway, Norts, isn't it? <laughs> what clear the leg away? You've got to score fast these days, you know. Village cricket has moved on. You know, Actually, of course, yeah, and of course, what what's happened as well is that what you see on the, the the telly now is even if there's a long on and a long off boundary fielders, they don't care anymore. In the olden days, we'd work it for one, and the coach would say, you know, well played, good percentage shot, work it for one with the man back. <laughs> now they just whack it over their heads. So that's yeah. obviously permeated the the village game. I just got a <laughs> a memory actually of. During my county career, uh, having you know a, a period where I wasn't bowling too well, and I got dropped from the first eleven by Mike Gatting, the captain, who said, "Go and play some second eleven cricket and get your act together." So uh, I played a second eleven match at Enfield Cricket Club, which was his right. local club, and his garden actually backs onto the ground. There's a wall, and then it's his garden and his greenhouse. And I was desperate to you know play well, and I bowled this a decent spell actually. But um, I slipped one ball. I slipped, bowled a long op, and it sat up. And the batsman, you know, eyes lit up, and he whacked it straight over into Gat's garden, right? And it just landed on the greenhouse. It didn't actually, luckily, it didn't break the greenhouse, but it bounced <laughs> off the glass and into his, you know, radishes or something. Gat happened to be at home because there was no verse eleven game in his garden. And so he he retrieved this ball from the radishes, climbed up the wall, <laughs> threw it back, and saw that I was the bowler. And he just went, oh, oh no, God! And then I was out of the team for about another couple of months after that. But at least I didn't have to pay the bill for any broken glass. The only thing I say about Colhill from from experience of it and, and Jason, it's uh, don't they? It's the Dorset Rule Pindy, isn't it? That track, it's a yeah. bed and breakfast batting track, isn't it? It runs, yeah. it runs at will. 
Yeah, so that, I, so well, I, remember need... that, I remember that game in 2018. I was suffering from. I'd torn my calf a week before, but I was kind of thinking, oh, you know, it was kind of it was sort of mid July, and I thought I just don't want my season to be over. So I kind of sort of I was limping with with, with Elliot Cuff at the other end. <laughs> It's <laughs> just so funny, but so so the only way to sort of get around it was to try and sort of avoid the singles and just just smack it instead. And I got I got forty odd not out in in pretty quick order. So you know you you absolutely can get runs there, and there's no question about it that you know I've noticed it in the last sort of half dozen years. You know our younger lads, I mean, they're doing sort of scoops and reverse sweeps and things like this. You know, which was just unheard of in village cricket sort of twenty years ago. And you're absolutely right, Norts. These 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 bats are just amazing, and they are going higher and further. Um, but even so, I still go back to my main point, my start point, which is if you're if you're a resident in Coal Hill, um, you know, unless you've been there for kind of lived there for a hundred years and you're 120, I don't really think you've got any cause for complaint. Simon, uh, with the new bats, maybe even you can hit a six. <laughs> Listen, have, have you ever hit one? Have you ever hit a six? I've hit loads of sixes. You haven't. Yeah. Oh, no, no, I'm not talking about gardens now. I'm not talking no. about back gardens. I'm talking about actual grounds. Listen, anybody who's played with me in club cricket knows that I had a very solid forward defence, and I, but I could also hit the ball <laughs> down the ground for six. So no, not not I. None of this cow corner stuff. Oh, this nursery ground, nursery no. at Lords or something. None of this cow corner. It's down the oh, down the ground over long on and long off. Yeah. No, no trouble at all. I notice actually that it looks as if um, that they're that they're, and they're sort of moving towards an agreement at Cold Hill that if they can get enough, raise enough money to put some fencing up on one side of the ground, the Wimborne Road side of the ground, as long as that's erected in t um, in time for May, that they might well be able to play uh, this season. So that, I mean, it's, it, I suppose it just depends on how much money uh, they can. They can raise, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you one thing. I'm getting out of the digital technology game. I'm getting into net erecting because it seems ridiculously <laughs> ridiculous amount of money. You can buy that stuff on Amazon for about twenty quid. Get it shipped from China, thirty five thousand, as Simon said. It's like what? You do need a lot of net vote, and you need a, you need some very very tall tall poles, um, which are very very well entrenched into the ground. That's the that's the issue, I think. And and um, uh, my contact at Coal Hill says that that that. Actually, the ECB, having not been keen to get involved at all, now are and being quite supportive. So that's 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 really good. I mean, one one, one thing as well uh, is that actually he's all very well putting the netting up once, but of course, what happens is you know it starts to tear and um, degrade and things like that. So you've you've actually got to keep you actually got to maintain it as well. So that you know there's a, there is an ongoing cost. So you know it's, it's not a it's not a straightforward solution just to say we're going to put netting up. Uh, but it probably it well you'd hope it would um, appease the net, the local neighbours. But I mean, there are you know I played in grounds where you know neighbours refused refused to um, throw the ball back. You know there are, there's one ground in yeah. North London I won't name it, but um, where you know the ball does disappear over into the garden and yeah you go and knock on the door and people are not very happy to give you your ball back. It sounds like a, a reasonably constructive outcome in this case. Uh, so that's a, a good sign. And we want to try and create an opportunity for you, uh, a club player or village player at home, to to try and uh, you know, change your situation if you've got an issue that, that you need help with. The analyst pod at gmail.com is the place to write in. Um, we'll try and broadcast your issue and, and hopefully help if necessary. Norts is going to take control of that, aren't you, Norts? Oh, it sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> we also want your stories as well, don't we? So it's not just it's not just bad things that are happening or you know disputes with the, with the local name. You know your great cricketing stories, things that have happened, 
uh, in your season that we would like, you know, we, we should know about. And we would try to highlight, to try to highlight what's going on in the club game and, and promote it as well. So at, at any level, anything you think will be of interest uh, to us and our listeners, then please do get in touch. The analyst pod at gmail.com. And don't forget the world's best cricket club as well. Next week's guest is Mark Butcher. I'm sure we'll have James Holland on. We'll probably get Noughts on as well. Good to speak to all of you. I think we all need to go for a lie down now. And, uh, you know, maybe just give a bit of money to Coal Hill Cricket Club for the their cause to, to raise that fence. Yeah, if you want to contribute, there is a crowdfunder website for Coal Hill Cricket Club and just Google it and you'll find it in a straightforward manner. And the Women's Under-19 World Cup begins on Saturday. So good luck to all the teams. We'll be back next week. Speak to you then. Thanks for listening. Goodbye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network.